the money. I don't have the money. The money's in Martini's house and it's in Joe's house. That was a quote from the all Muppet version of It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's a Muppet life. Hi-ho, Kermit the Frog. There was a little Yoda in there, too, I thought. A little bit, but, yeah. but I didn't. But I didn't do a backward sentence. That's fitting. <laughs> Run on the bank, there will be. <laughs> <laughs> Shares offered at 50 cents on the dollar, they are. The money in Martini's house, it is. <laughs> 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 the Incomparable, number 382, December 2017. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. In this episode, it's December. That means it's time for us to talk about holiday-themed things. Sometimes we do this, and it goes really well. Other times, it's the human centipede. Hopefully... Well, well you, you be the judge about how, how this uh, turns out. <laughs> we are talking about a beloved movie, people. We are talking about 1946's It's a Wonderful Life, directed by Frank Capra, starring Jimmy Stewart. A certifiable Christmas classic. Or is it? We have with, with us three guests who I don't actually know if they've staked out uh, extreme positions here, although I, I, I know that two of them have. Um, David J. Lore... <laughs> is taking a strong case against It's a Wonderful Life. Just putting that out in the open now. Hello, David. I would say that's an understatement. Wow. Against is an understatement. Of all the holiday films, of all the classic films, this might be one of the ones that I absolutely loathe the most. And even that's an understatement. Might be one of the ones you absolutely Loathe the most. There's a lot of what qualifiers. What a frustrated old man and hedged in there. That's hey, it's it's Brian Hamilton. Are you a uh, where, where do you fall on It's a Wonderful Life? Just to get it out there, I'm going to be a warped, frustrated young man tonight, Jason. Because dear God, I love this movie and I'm going to die on this hill tonight. All right, okay, all right. Well, now that's a holiday episode: the death of a panelist <laughs> on a hill. <laughs> Also here, he will perhaps survive this battle, but he, I know he's fighting on the side of uh, uh, in favor. Right. It's Dr. Drang. Hello. It's good to have you back. There's no zither tonight. Thank goodness. No, no zither tonight. I will not be dying on the hill. I will be sliding down on a shovel. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> a chain, gang. A chain. Watch, watch out. But there's no one f- to save you. If you go too fast... You might fall in the ice, and and I I should, uh, and then you the cracked ice, and you drown or or not in the water. Um, I have seen It's a Wonderful Life before this week, one time. <laughs> I did you live in the eighties? I I did, <laughs> I think, but I I I never saw it. Um, I saw it one time that was probably like twenty years ago, and I have essentially no memory of it. Um. And I know I saw it, and my wife confirms that that we watched it together. Um, and I think what happened, and this is something we might want to get into here at some point, is I think what happened is I was a victim of how popular culture has depicted this movie. Now, it's a wonderful life. I wrote a piece about this on the old TV.org website like 20 years ago, probably. Um, David probably read it back then, which is probably one did, of the yes. classic... <laughs> cliche TV show plots and especially sitcom plots during the holidays is to do an It's a Wonderful Life episode, which is to say 
what they do is they have a what how would the world be different if you hadn't been born or you hadn't done this thing it's to take that kind of like the sliding doors right kind of premise and uh and then put it on some dumb sitcom that that that's basically that was what i knew about it's a wonderful life you see the problem here is that you got to go an hour and 40 into this movie before that premise appears i was just gonna say the economy of sitcoms yeah all right we've got a little build up of of having seen the show for a while but the economy of telling that story in a sitcom means you don't have to sit through 90 minutes we're going to talk about the 90 minutes because i think the the 90 minutes well, can be judged I, I think it can be judged positively and negatively i'm interested to hear what you guys say but my point is i spent 90 minutes going where the heck is the bridge why is he not jumping <laughs> off the bridge now and it totally skewed my I view ask of that the movie every movie i watch yeah right i mean really <laughs> I, I totally skewed my view of what the movie was going to be and then i got to the end and i was like oh yeah here's the part i know and then the movie was over and i was like okay that was a movie and I promptly forgot all of it. So um, this time I went in knowing what I was going to be getting, and I had a very different experience, which was good. But that was that. So that's my that's my history with this. Um, I a lot of times on older movies I ask people for their history. Um, David, you stand back for now. Uh, Doctor Drang, <laughs> I'll, I'll wait. what's your I'll background wait. with It's a Wonderful Life? How long have you been uh, been been watching it, and what attracts you to it? Oh, I have been watching it since probably the late sixties, certainly mm. the early early 70s. I I was watching it before it became, you know, a nightly viewing thing as it did in the 80s when it was uh, thought to have gone into the public domain and everybody Mm -hmm. had a copy. Every every television show, every television station had their own copy and played it again and again because it was free. Uh, (laughs) So I have, uh, so I liked it. I watched it before it became, um, that much of a cliche it was always a beloved movie throughout my life and uh but i but i watched it before it got you know super saturated so i did not come to it um from the from the way jason did the way uh with uh, seeing the plot through sitcoms first i actually saw the movie before i ever saw sitcoms that did that which is not the same. I mean, Christmas Carol, of course, is the other one that did that. And I'm sure I saw Christmas Carol takeoffs before I saw the Christmas Carol itself. Yeah, I don't think the Wonderful Life sitcom versions really took off until like the late 70s, if I'm not mistaken. I it's, think it, I think it was when, you know, it became so ubiquitous yeah, because of yeah. that weird copyright thing. Yeah. Th- that must be it, is that it just it just kind of seeped out there. I mean, I definitely was aware that that movie existed, but I, I didn't see it. I also didn't have cable uh, during most of my childhood. Uh, and so, uh, I was limited to just a few broadcast channels and I know like NBC showed it one night, but of every year, but I, I didn't, I didn't get that experience. So Brian, for you, what's your experience with it's a wonderful life? Is this just a thing that you remember from, uh, from when you were a, a wee little child and, and knowing it and loving it? Yeah, no, this is one of my family's favorite movies. And for a long time, we just watched it every year because it was a thing that you did around the holidays. Mm. And it's so weird to me. So I was a film student and I finally watched Casablanca in a film class after having seen all of the parodies and that movie fell flat for me i love it but it didn't hit no no, stop stop my point is the (laughs) pop culture did not affect me for wonderful life 
in the same way that it did for Casablanca. Mm. I was not around for all the sitcoms. I still knew the premise, but even now, you know, there's all the jokes about how Wonderful Life is actually a episode of Black Mirror where there's alternate universes and weird magic going on by the end of the movie. I don't even think about that. All I think about is the emotional resonance of George Bailey and his family and his friends. And maybe that's because I'm a sucker and grew up with it and love it, but it, it, that doesn't even land for me. I don't think about the premise at all. I don't think about the bridge. I don't think about uh, when's this going to happen? Happen. I just go along for the ride and hit all the emotional beats the way that Frank Capra wanted. And I'm lucky for that. I never thought of it, but now I would love to see a Black Mirror version of it because everybody would die horribly. Thanks, David. I'm glad you're here. There's no way this back from the, from the Black Mirror version. Okay, David, what? show me on the movie where it hurt you. <laughs> well, I should say I'm not a huge Jimmy Stewart fan to begin with. And I'm a, I really don't like Frank Capra in, in general. I, I don't like any of his films. So it started with two strikes against it the first time I saw it. But I, you know, I saw it when I was young, uh, and, and a little bit before the, the ubiquitousness of it. Um, I kind of like that the copyright, uh, chokehold came back and made it go away, uh, <laughs> quite a bit. So you had to watch it the one time or you had to buy it and own it. And that's fine, you know. Um, and, and yeah, there are lots of, there are lots of sentimental films. I like sentimental films. I don't like sappy sentimental films. And this is just, you know, two hours and five minutes of overrated sentimental tripe. The, the romanticized past that's never coming back is so much more exciting to all of these people than the progress of the future, right? You know, ooh, what does Pottersville have? Pottersville has a bowling alley and a jazz pianist. Oh, my God. Not that. You know, uh, it's it's <laughs> it's bizarre. It's like, why are we going backwards? But, but, but the thing that always bothered me, even as a child... The whole thing about the money, you know, here you've got, you've trusted the dumbest man who works for you with your big pile of money. It's stolen by the villain. Mm -hmm. The villain never gets his comeuppance. They never get the money back. But all of the people, while while dumbass is off standing on the bridge thinking, oh, I'm so sorry. I, my life is so horrible. His wife, his wife is the one who actually goes around, gets everyone in the town to donate their money. And here's the thing. They're dumb enough to give all this money to the guy who was Stop. dumb enough to Stop trust the money right to the now, dumbest man David that works for him. And that's the end of the movie. All right. They deserve whatever happens to them. That bothered me at the age of eight. That is one of my favorite things about the movie, because in the end, none of that matters. The fact that everyone comes together and loves George Bailey so much that they give him all of the money that he so selflessly gave them all throughout their lives is what makes this movie great for me. And yeah, Potter never gets his comeuppance. I think about it every single time. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The fact that Mr. Potter does not get his comeuppance is, in fact, one of the key pieces of this movie. Thank it, you. It is that, you know, good guys don't always win. Things don't work out nicely. It is not sappy that way. It has its own, uh, oh, it's, you know, not as cynical as the guy from Southern Indiana here is, but, but it has its own, 
it has its own deep cynicism to it. Uh, things don't go right for George throughout the movie, uh, despite him doing what is what is right. And one of the things that doesn't go right, and of course this was fixed in one of those SNL um, uh, parodies, uh, is is that Potter doesn't get his ass kicked uh, at at the end of the movie, and that's okay. I will say one of the things that I do like in the movie is that, and and a lot of people don't talk about this, it is an excellent portrayal of despair at the holiday, right? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, it is a very if you if you strip away the sentimental parts, it is a very dark movie. Yes, and. A lot of things don't talk about that. And even I will say this is probably Stuart's best film uh, or certainly in his top three. Uh, he really gets that across. He sometimes overdoes it, but he really gets that across, especially when he finally is in Pottersville. There's a shot toward the end where he uh, runs away from I think it was his mom's boarding house. And it's a slow very, very slow shot of his face in extreme close-up as he turns his head and looks straight into the camera as his brain is unraveling. And it is absolutely perfect. But what makes it yes. work is that it all comes back together at the end. You're right. It's dark. But what's darkness without the light at the end? There are a lot of threads here. And David is jumping to the end because he doesn't want to talk about it. But he has to sit through the rest of this <laughs> podcast because he wanted to be here and spoil everyone's fun. And now he has to take... it's, it's 90 minutes of No, you have to sit there and take it. You have to take the punishment. So first, uh, first off, I want to mention the Twilight own thing because i think some of the parallels here and what's funny is of course that all the parallels i see in it are things that followed it so i have to imagine that they are um that they are intentionally referencing it's a wonderful life in some way so first off it does feel like a twilight zone episode or at least the last 30 minutes of it feels like a twilight zone episode and i find that fascinating also um it's back to the future too like it is yeah. literally back to the future too. That walk down the, I have to say, laughably evil uh, Potterville, where everything is a <laughs> everything is a a gin joint, everything is a uh, is a bar or a speakeasy or a I don't even know what. Like everything is, oh, it's scary. I was like, oh, where's Biff? Where's Biff's, Biff's office? And I was going to make that joke while we were watching it. And Lauren <laughs> turned to me and said, "So uh, Biff's uh, hotel is here somewhere, right?" I mean, it's like, yeah, it is. Back to the Future Two is a is a whole movie basically about uh, going into this that scary world except using time travel instead of angels um and yeah it's like a a black mirror episode there are all those different things about it so that's fascinating to me um i think i I have a theory that one of the reasons this captured kind of a popular imagination is because there are a lot of people who are not familiar with these science fictional or fantasy kind of tropes that the fact that it, yeah, that is used exactly. to kind of like show the alternative rather than him just getting a pep talk, right? He sees life without him and how he's affected the world. I think maybe that resonates with people because it is magical and they don't, they don't always see things like that. Whereas if you've read a lot of science fiction and fantasy, it seems a lot more like, yeah, oh, well, of course this is a, this is a thing. So I have a theory about that. Um, but I want to back up and I want to talk about the first 90 minutes because the first 90 minutes, now that I am not just waiting for the twist, right? Like the first time I watched this movie, I think it's really interesting. And the way you guys described it, I, I and even David saying that it's dark, I think that's true. I think the George Bailey story, there are moments, I try to imagine if I was somebody watching this movie for the first time, not, not knowing what it was and wondering what the heck I was watching. Because it's, it's interesting. It's a story of this guy, George Bailey, other than the anime 
animated intro with the star, the galaxies talking to each other, which I did hate. I thought that was really awful and stupid. Okay, but the little dot of Clarence running by as Twinkle Twinkle Little Star plays kills me every time. I love it. It's so cute. It's a little dot. I think it's ridiculous. Ugh. I, I could do without the galaxies. <laughs> okay, thank you. Oh, uh, come on. But after that, after that, what we get is a story about this guy who is, he has, um, and I, I wrote this down at a couple of points, and, and this is why I, I actually like a lot of that first 90 minutes. Uh, there is a lot of it, to David's point, but he is a person who has big dreams. He has, he has all these things he wants to do. He's going to get out of this crappy little town. And he is going to see the world. He's going to go to college. He's going to go to South America. He's going to travel and do all these things. And at every turn, he ha- he is forced to choose between following his dream and doing what is responsible. And he's a responsible person. And he does the responsible thing. To the point where, at the end, he's got a life that is nice. And he's in his town. And people respect him and all of that. But he's never ever followed his dream and there's a moment where he thinks uh i have lived my life to be a responsible human being and it has led me to ruin and that's the thing that sends him to the bridge now i will grant somebody like david who is a heartless person uh Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, i'm just pandering to the people who love this movie who are listening to this but but uh because because i really am not i'm not i'm trying not to take sides here I, I i just i have no nostalgia for this movie i just watched it um i think it goes on a bit but i do appreciate the story that it's telling which is about this this guy who is trying to do the right thing and you see that he has these dreams and he's never followed his dream because he's always had to do the right thing. His his kid brother comes back and and says, well, I've got a great job turning soybeans into plastic or plastic into soybeans or I don't even know what it is about it somewhere. I but, but I have one word for you, George. Plastics. And he's like... Um, well, you know, but I'll stay here. I'll I'll do the time here and let you go off and do live your dream. And he's like, nah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make you do that. And he always does that. And I think that's really fascinating. And that is what it takes a dark turn. Which is what does he get for being the always being the responsible one and not doing what he what he uh, what his, he dreams about, but instead doing what is the right thing and what he's expected to do. And the answer the movie says uh, at first until it shows him what he actually gets. The movie sort of posits nothing he got nothing for it and that drives him to despair and i think that's really a, a, an interesting portrayal of of a character to to see him get to that point he turns down potter and his big job offer because it's not the right thing to do all of that i think is really interesting so many people think that the moral of the story at the end is uh yay small town stay keep your dreams small everything do not leave your hometown or everything uh and every time that george chooses bedford falls over his own dreams and his own aspirations the movie treats it as a tragic terrible thing it's not celebrated by the movie until the end arguably when he winds up being the richest man in town but the idea that (laughs) he is staying behind and letting his brother and sam wainwright and everyone else around him achieve incredible things is not celebrated by the movie that's why the movie is so freaking long is because there's so much of that to keep giving him a chance to leave and every time he doesn't you're heartbroken well i I think we we may we may be going a a little too strong in in the dark i mean there's no question there's dark parts of this of this movie that's part of what makes it good um but you know there there is a lot of 
he's not. I mean, he gets Donna Reed for God's sake. Well, it's true. It's um, true. That's, and, that's and he a doesn't good thing, come yes. up. One thing it doesn't do is it doesn't make him regret his marriage, which I thought was right. I mean, like you can't do that. That's not that's not a thing to do. I wanted to mention another movie that actually this reminded me of, which is American Graffiti. Um, actually, because there are several points where there's a line I think where it's just like let's you know I, I want to shake the dust off this crummy little town. At one point, right? It's like the, this dream of of getting out of here, and it uh, and it it doesn't it doesn't happen. But you know, in the end. It doesn't take that dark turn. It shows you the darkness because I think the message at the end is really great, right? Which is you don't understand how you affected everybody around you. And and I think that that when you talk about um, like David, when you talk about uh, darkness at the at the holiday season and feeling depressed and, and, and having misery when people around you are supposed to be happy and you're not happy. Um, in the end, what this movie is saying is when you're in that frame of mind, you can't see the positivity exactly. that you create. You can't see the fact that what you consider real life or and what you consider like, I didn't amount to anything. You're not seeing the web of people around you whose lives you affect and you positively affect. And that is a, I think that is an uplifting message, but I also am fascinated that, that they, they do need to drive him. That's a balancing act. Cause they got to drive him down a dark road, uh, literally. And then he hits a tree. Um, <laughs> They drive him literally to the brink of suicide. Uh-huh. And going going back to your point, Doc, uh, the fact that this movie is so joyful, uh, that it's such a pure, innocent, nostalgic 1940s joy <laughs> that I think part of the reason I'm so attached to this movie is that I'm so far removed from it. That's something that I've never experienced before. And this movie is, in addition to its emotional core that I love, it's something uh, very far removed from any other movie that I have seen in recent times that has affected me so much. And I know, yeah, I'm young, whatever. But the fact that it's such a fun, innocent kind of uh, uh, nostalgic, um, you know, you're not going to get this kind of innocence back to the point where a gin bar is uh, the worst thing that could happen to this town. Like, it's something that this movie captures very, very well because it lived it. It's completely unironic. And I love it for that. And, and I think part of it is for you that you grew up with it as a family thing. It was just a thing you did. And that's wonderful. You know, I my problems with the movie are the movie. It's not I, I, there are things in the story that I like. Like I said, the despair, the, the illustration of it and the fact that it shows that the despair is and, and the darkness isn't the town. It's it's in George. It's his right? it's his perception. It's, it's his not own. and it's not reality. It's not it's right. not how the world actually sees him. Uh, but he can't see it. It's not quite being an unreliable narrator, but it's close. Well, it's, I mean, it is as, it is kind you know. of you could view it as as it's about like depression or something like that, where it's like you right. know you just, you can't even even if you can have all the logic in the world. Uh, he doesn't see it. He just doesn't right. doesn't see it. I, I was going to laugh at, at Brian's note about all the joy. It's like, yes, the joyful, <laughs> like the joyful scene where a 12 year old is is hit by his drunk boss at the drugstore. <laughs> After hanging out at the candy bar, Jason, don't forget the candy bar. Oh, two sure. cents worth of shoelaces, Vi. Yeah, yeah, sure. He's got he's got two girls after him. Come on. <laughs> you like every boy. <laughs> well, what's wrong with that? One of the things that I do like is that it's it shows that it's OK to be depressed and it's okay to remember that that's maybe not the way the world is. It's maybe the way that you're seeing the world. Uh, and it sort of lets you have both and it's, and it's saying it's okay and we'll help you. And 
Maybe you need more help. Maybe we're not done helping. But for tonight, this is good. This is the end of the movie. Bells are ringing. Mm. This is great. Yeah, and it also it it also uh, shows us uh, something that I think people nowadays don't realize about Jimmy Stewart. We always think of Jim, Jimmy Stewart as the nice guy. He's always playing the nice guy, and he is certainly is a nice guy in this uh, in this movie. But he has not just his demons. Uh, things that are depressing him, but he has this draw toward not doing the right thing. He always ends up doing the right yeah. thing, but he is he is always pulled or pushed or moves himself in that direction. The, the temptation not, of self-gratification over responsibility. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and he's good at it. Every time I watch this movie, I think about whether or not that quote unquote right thing really is the actual right thing because he's doing everything he can. He's got the board of directors there uh, as he's trying to leave for college. I think the first or second time they're all there ready to take uh, control of the future of the company. And it winds up being that uh, their vote requires him to come back and uh, work for them. Yeah, whatever. But he's doing everything he can to make sure he can both travel and go to college and make sure the town doesn't fall apart in his absence. And I wonder if going back to his own personal demons and how he feels about everything that's going on by the end of the movie, I wonder if that calculation about what kind of person would I be and what kind of person would everyone else think I am if I went and traveled the world. You know, if he left for a bunch of years and then came back, people probably wouldn't hate him. But he thinks that they will because he's left and he's the kind of person that... I don't know that he thinks that. I mean, certainly they always, they're, they're always encouraging him. Oh, no, George, it's time for you to go. You've been holding the bag so long. You need to exactly. go now. It's been, they always say that and I think they're always sincere about it. And I think he believes that they're sincere. He just can't bring himself to do it. And, and in a way, it's a, it's a story about learning to let go, right? He's not going to save the world. And even though... Uh, the, the, the alternate reality he sees is remarkably George centric, right? Everything has gone to hell because of everything in his life that he wasn't there for. <laughs> and, and this Donna Reed, how is Donna Reed an old maid? And why is that the worst thing that'll happen to no, her? She's worse than an old maid. She's, she's a, a librarian. librarian. David, yes. you and I are married to librarians. And, and that was, I said, we're going to watch yeah. It's a Wonderful Life. And my wife was like, oh, yes, the most horrible thing that could happen to a woman <laughs> is for her to just be a librarian. A spinster librarian. No, no. My wife also hates this movie. I imagine so. librarians getting together to have viewing parties of this and just, you know, and just waiting for that piece to come up and, and everybody having drinks available for when for when that line comes yeah, up i am reminded of there's a line in when harry met sally which is uh you'll you spend the rest of your life knowing that someone else is married to your husband and that's kind of you know a modern take on uh, it's a wonderful life i would rather see that which is that she's married to someone else and they've got exactly. kids or whatever and it's one of these like oh my god you know that that that's worse than her just being alone she literally can't fall in love with anybody but george like really i mean okay Okay, I yeah. guess, but that that yeah. that's not uh, that that doesn't twist the knife. I think 
uh, quite as much as I would probably uh, prefer, and it doesn't seem as realistic. I wanted to mention his his devotion to the building of, uh, building and loan, which he also runs down all the time. There's the, this measly one-horse Penny Andy organization at one point, <laughs> but he's devoted to it. I, one thing that I think is really interesting, and it goes to the politics of this movie, which is the building and loan is a deeply subversive organization. And George, for all of his, uh, his pleasant demeanor and how he's just like the boy next door, I mean, the building alone is a is a subversive organization it is trying to allow the working class of this town to escape the slumlords who can who who uh, prevent them from uh getting out and buying a house and things like that and they've taken it basically the community and this goes back to the themes of the community everybody helping one another which come back at the end when everybody brings their money because the stupid uncle left eight thousand dollars in a newspaper um the building and loan is there because it's all the the idea of the community helping everybody else and i think that i I was surprised at how how uh how subversive and political that was in a certain way that this is definitely a uh you know fight the little guy fighting the fat cats thing happening oh yeah well that's that's a very capra-esque thing i mean mr smith goes to washington there's a mr smith reference in the mr smith is referred to in a newspaper headline at one point i don't Mm -hmm. know i i I just noticed that this it's it's the greater capra cinematic universe yeah well but that but that uh you know being against fat cats was something that had you know been in cinema since oh, sure. the early part of the depression. Right. Oh sure, right? I just was, oh yeah, but but like it was a common thing. But he's a he, but he's an agitator. I mean, like he is the he is the one who has put his life, uh, basically his life's work at risk, being a troublemaker and fighting the fighting the fat cats. Like he's not just like a person who says yeah, fat cats are bad. He's like his his family has built this thing to allow um, you know Mr. Martini yep. <laughs> to have his have his have his place and to buy a house and all of those things with his goat and we don't want to know anything else about that and the melancholy of george i think is fascinating to me at one point um when when uh harry goes to college and he's a football star and he gets married and he brings his wife back to town and all of that that's a there's a really kind of like bittersweet moment and I, the note that i wrote down is george is a sweet man who seems to be outside the rest of his life looking in everyone else is living their lives and he's just kind of like always putting his life on hold and and mm-hmm. it is very it's very sad like early on he talks about how exciting the sound of the train whistle is um he's excited by the train where's it gonna go and all of that and uh at this point in the movie it just makes him sad when he hears the train whistle it's so sad he's like he's doing the right thing but it's making him a broken man it's very it i i did not expect quite that level of uh sort of sadness from that character but there it is it's there yeah and then donna reed comes and he feels better <laughs> i mean part part of that whole 90 minute stretch aside from just being chekhov's details that will all come back in the other alternate universe the the thing that drives me crazy about it is that i mean after about half an hour i i just start shouting at the screen yes we get it frank get going come on we get it he wants to get out he doesn't get out oh here's another chance for him to oh he doesn't get out oh here's another oh he doesn't i was gonna suggest you do a fan edit of this movie but it wouldn't be a fan edit would it it would be like an no. en- enemy edit oh no it would it would be about eight seconds long, oh, I see. and it would just, just it would just be all the bells ringing in the the logo at the beginning. 
eight angels get wings before the movie even starts mm-hmm. that's amazing it's economical <laughs> can we um can i can i ask you you fellows uh who aren't david about the run at the uh the run at the bank uh because i i the run at the bank is one of those things that i don't know maybe this would was more understandable during the era but i look at this and i think this is a very weird and arcane thing to have as like a central plot point in your film that there's a that there's a bank run and potter is buying Agreed. shares for That's 50 the, cents on the, the post dollar. great depression yeah i mean right. you're, you're you're only you know a dozen years or so after there were actual runs at banks yeah. so you know the audience would have known it very well hmm. i don't think this is nearly as obscure or difficult to understand as the orange juice futures in trading places um, <laughs> okay fair <laughs> it's, it's it's a pretty you know the, the building alone is essentially a mutual company. So these people are all by by being in there, they they are shareholders, and that's right. why you get you get the story of well, you know, the money. I don't have the money. The money's in Martini's house, and it's in Joe's house, and all that. Right. Um, because it is because they are essentially lending money to each other in, in in a strange way. And what I like about that scene is that even though there's this weird arcane plot point. The fact is that most of that scene, because I think about when the movie speeds up and when the movie slows down and it slows way down here and it slows way down when uh, Donna Reed and Jimmy Stewart get together and it slows way down at Buffalo Gals and everything like that. And the fact that the bulk of this scene is Jimmy Stewart giving uh, this really impassioned speech about, oh, no, we're going to fight the big guys and uh, your money's all here. We just need to make uh, we need to make uh, everything work for, until the bank uh, opens again. And all of those things are what that scene is about and not necessarily the run of the bank. It hmm. shifts the focus almost immediately from the financial crisis and what's actually going on to Jimmy Stewart's devotion to the community, which I've always appreciated as somebody who could not care less about the actual uh, ins and outs of how that company works. I mean, there's nothing nothing that could make it more literal about his ties to the community and the community's ties to each other than the fact that everything is going to be ruined if they don't stick together and stop the bank run from happening when the, when the little It's like a blood pact with his own money. I, yeah. I mean, as as we know, nothing makes an entertaining film quite like trade federations and financial stop details. Stop it. Get out, David. Someone boot <laughs> you from the call. <laughs> what, you like The Phantom Menace? No! No, no. Potter admits defeat, but he he knows that George hates being tied to the building and loan. And this is I'm gonna I'm gonna go with David here for a moment. This is that <laughs> moment where the where where the Emperor where Palpatine tempts young Skywalker. Right? This is the uh, twenty thousand dollars a year. You can't use references that come thirty years later. <laughs> oh, but I can. That's not right. This movie is every movie that followed it that clearly that we it all goes back to it's a wonderful life uh, but anyway yeah so he he offers him he, he tries to get him to to i mean he's given him the escape hatch i'll give you lots of money i'm tired of fighting you you've won just take the money and work for me and uh and that that's kind of a funny bit of business where he gives him the cigar and he's like oh yeah i'm thinking about this well and he just keep kind of talks himself out of it which is kind of which is kind of funny and uh and yeah and then but by the way speaking of george being on the outside looking in the war comes and george can't go <laughs> because he can't hear out of one ear and so he does all the things he can do but of course his brother goes and is a war hero and all of those things and i i just it's another one of those kind of bittersweet things where george does everything he can to help but he doesn't go off to war yet again he's sort of like on the outside looking in it is it's just like another bittersweet moment in george's life i think 
And that's when the movie speeds way the hell up. Oh, it does. We need Joe Steele here to talk about the uh, the, the, cle- the clever special effects during the t- discussion of the war, where everybody is sort of put in front of a screen uh, showing something else. Uh, let me let me. Um, I'll just I'll tell you what Joe would say to all of that. <sighs> that's pretty much it but you know it was it was a different time it was 1946 it was uh, i think the main thing we learn out of that is i mean we've we all know that sam wainwright is a jerk and sam mm-hmm. wainwright is a jerk throughout the movie everyone hates Hee-haw. sam wainwright he's he is to me he is the true villain of the movie more than mr potter um and, and he's a war profiteer he makes pla- he makes plastic uh, uh, cockpit covers. It's it's uh, what he didn't help. Yeah. Did he help the war? I don't think so. Those probably all cracked and killed people. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else is out there risking their lives. Sam Wainwright is is making money. He's a terrible person. And at the end of the movie, when everybody is coming in, throwing their money into the basket. Uh, I notice George, this every freaking time. To help time. George out. Okay. Oh, here comes the telegram from Sam Wainwright saying, I, you know, I'm authorizing my people to uh, forward up to $25,000 to you. People continue to drop money into the basket, even though, uh, even though George's debt is completely taken over, uh, o- overcome three times over. Why do they do that? They because do that they're be- idiots. No, no, no. <laughs> it is not that. It's because they know Sam Wainwright is an a- and they do not want George <laughs> Bailey beholden to him. But George is still going to take the money. Let's let's talk about. So I feel like we're at the point in the movie where I, we need to talk at least a little bit about the eight thousand dollars. This is. Um, I, I feel like this is the sitcom plot portion of the show. This, uh, in fact, my my note at this point is this is dumb. The uh, where'd the money go? Oh, I bust, I wrapped it yeah. up in an old newspaper and left it on the lap of the most evil man in town. It's not my favorite part of the movie. Let's just put it that way. It's and not. the two of them. It's. I mean, there are scenes in this that are finely acted and directed and, and, you know, it's there, there's a lot of good in this movie for someone who hates it. There's a lot of good in this movie. Even they seem faintly embarrassed by that scene. They're like, we, we can't quite make this convincing. This, this is not convincing. But they don't have to. That's not the point. The point is that the $8,000 is gone and it doesn't bother me. Okay. Well, I mean, this has to be convincing. I guess this is, I guess for me as somebody, and so, so I, I I see that somebody who's, it's a family tradition. It's like, it doesn't, it's not important. (laughs) And David who hates the movie is like, oh, this is stupid. For me, as a viewer kind of going down the middle here and finding the things I like and don't like, I get why it happens. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's dumb. (laughs) That's, I guess that's what It happens because the writers want it to happen. They need, well, they need the jeopardy of it. I mean, I'd all, I'd almost rather if the uncle like tripped and fell and it went down a sewer drain or he got or it drunk fell in the and, fireplace I, I, or I mean right I, I anything would, i would almost rather something like that than that it just kind of like be wrapped in a newspaper and fall in the lap of the decrepit old uh monster who is our villain of the of the piece but you know it leads to the drama but but i just wanted to point out that 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 particular little bit of it um i don't i don't i don't particularly like it although it is kind of funny when they it reminds me of whenever i've lost something or my wife has lost something like keys or a wallet or something where you begin to retrace your steps with increasing panic that i totally got that was like yep (laughs) that's what that's one of those moments where no way out no way out no way out for for all the 
the saying of, oh, it doesn't need the closure of this and it doesn't, it's not cliched this way. That moment is a very cliched, that's so on the nose ridiculous compared to some of the other things in the movie that aren't that it, it just sticks out to me. It's like, it's just bad writing. Just stop. I will say that when I was a kid watching this movie and, and I, you know, wouldn't necessarily remember it from year to year fully. I never saw the trick. I hmm. I was I was watching Lionel Barrymore's face and uh, God, who is Uncle Billy? Um, anyway, I was watching the actors' faces, and I never saw the bit of business where Uncle Billy ends up folding the envelope into the newspaper and drops it back on Potter's lap. Uh, it it just didn't happen. Now, of course, I was young and I was dumb, but I <laughs> year after year. Until I was, you know, well into my teens, I never saw that bit of business. They hit it. Now, you know, now, of course, I see it all the time. But I do. But I do like it. I, li- I like him. It's like, um, what is it? It's in, in The Wizard of Oz. There's a part where the Tin Man effectively in the background is undoing the rope. Mm-hmm. You ever see it? You ever see <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, once you see it, it's my, it's my God, turn around and stop him from doing that. Look at what he's doing. He's sabotaging everything. And of course, it's the same thing now. I, I, you know, I see Uncle Billy fold the envelope in there and I say, Oh, come on. You don't, don't do that. But you know, when I, when, when I was first, you know, and people weren't, um, when this movie came out, there was, there was no VHS. There were, there were no DVDs. You didn't watch movies, uh, all that often you might you might go back and see it while it was running but uh you didn't see like the way my kids have grown up watching certain movies again and again and again and again people didn't do that quite so much back then yeah that's true movies were not really meant to be uh necessarily have this level of scrutiny picked apart and back and forth and and what we do framed and all that stuff i mean people talking about them for an hour at a time for people to listen to that was not a thing that's madness people (laughs) saying that this great movie is bad that was not a thing no that was also not a thing um although actually my understanding is my understanding is that the initial reception of this movie was not particularly positive it was kind of middling and it became a cult classic later it was truly it was the the immediate post-war era was not a, a, a rosy time uh, people had gone through a terrible uh, period, and there was a lot of cynicism in, in the country at the time. And at the time when Capra was making his movies, they were known as Capricorn. Yeah. That's, that's not a modern thing that, that we've looked at. So there were people like David even back then. <laughs> uh, so I grew up loving this movie, and uh, then I look back and saw this was nominated for Best Picture that year. And... I thought that was great, and it made all, all the sense in the world. But then uh, the story that I didn't get until very much later in my life was that it kind of went out of copyright, was uh, not very popular upon reception, and then became this thing that it aired. Like Every TV station had a copy, so it, that's how it became popular, not because it was nominated for Best Picture. And it, that shocked me, and I, I love that story, how you know this kind of cult classic can rewrite history in this way. He goes home, he's upset, the money is gone, the bank examiner's there, his, he may be ruined, uh, he, he, ins- he insults the, the teacher and the husband of the teacher of one of his kids, Potter is, you know, Potter has finally, like, made his play of, like, this is gonna, I'm gonna ruin you, I'm calling the bank examiner, he gets drunk, um, he has the bad luck to be right next to the husband of the teacher he said he would fight earlier, so he gets punched in the face, um, he, he wrecks it, he goes drunk driving and 
runs into a, a tree, but it's not just any tree because he gets, oh, oh, what a bad night you're having when the owner of a tree yells at you for hitting his prized tree, <laughs> his beloved tree. And, My great-grandfather planted this tree. Yep, and he goes to the bridge, <laughs> and he is, he is like, psyching himself up to, uh, to, to jump in and end it all, and that's when uh, a drunk from heaven jumps in over him <laughs> and uh and he has to jump in and save him it's clarence the angel who we first saw in that kind of annoying animated sequence at the beginning and that's what now we get the uh the scene of if it hadn't been for me everyone would be better off uh, and uh so he is then transformed here or transported into a world where he has never been born doesn't exist and is able to uh roam unconnected to the world nobody knows who he is and he can he can in fact the pr- turns out the presence of george bailey is the only thing standing between bedford falls being renamed potterville which um yeah. that's uh that seems a little bit much but anyway it's it, biff biff uh, runs the town now and uh yeah that's it they have uh they have uh he 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 wanders through the town goes to martinis which is not martinis it's uh it's a it's Nix. Nix. we serve hard drinks for people who want to get drunk fast out you two pixies and we go. don't need any characters, any characters to give us atmosphere which i thought was a very meta funny line there is exactly one thing in this film that i love and it is Sheldon Lennon. <laughs> hey, Sheldon Lennon. <laughs> Gower, his old boss, by the way, is just a town drunk and spent time in jail because he sent that poison out that, of course, he prevented him from doing. Um, this is the point where I wrote down, and you'll appreciate this, David, this is like a very, very slow Twilight Zone. <laughs> That's what's happening here. The one thing I don't like about this whole uh, back half of the movie is that once we're in that alternate universe, he takes a really, really, really long time to realize what's going on. And the joke kind of gets old after a while. The world was slower in 1947. <laughs> <There you> <laughs> Come on. And, 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 and so, so was uh, Jimmy. Well, yes, that's right. He is more Jimmy Stewart in this movie than maybe in any other movie. He takes a cab the Jimmy back to his house. And this is kind of a fun bit of business where the cab driver like yes, asks him a nice. second time, like, are you sure? And takes him there. And I like that it isn't one of these things where it's just a plot point to get him to the house. The cab driver like gets the cop and like he gets out of the car and he's like, there's something wrong with this guy <laughs> that yeah. he has come to the wreck of a house that was never rebuilt by them as he and his wife built, rebuilt the house. Um, and, and that's when we get the bird, Ernie, you guys were at my wedding. Um, and it turns out his uncle is in an insane asylum and Harry died as a little kid. And of course the greatest tragedy of all, Mary is a spinster librarian. <sighs> So he 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 begs to be uh, to let him live again. He he realizes the uh, that that he must uh, he must go back. And uh, this is a, so this is an interesting moment because it's like again, it, I guess I guess he's doing this for all of the reasons for like the good of the the town and the good of his own life. Um, I do. I don't know how you would make it work, but I do wonder what what would be the case if he had two options, if like the alternate reality was actually better for everybody and he had to choose mm-hmm. between being responsible and doing the responsible thing of just letting reality move along without him or make the selfish decision for once to go back to his life with his wife and his kids. But that's not what he gets to choose. It's an easy choice because life is terrible without George Bailey in it. Yeah, I mean, that's I, I think I've seen variations of that on uh certainly on the simpsons and other things where yes the alternate reality is better 
And, but I want, I want Marge to stay with me. Right. Um, and in this, yeah, it, it is ridiculously, I mean, the deck, the deck is stacked against him. Right. Clarence is like, yeah, we're going to make this absolutely terrible, but totally George centric. Which that's fine. Yeah, and I think it's okay because right in the end that's here, the, what, 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 the goal here is to is to is the larger message, not the drama at this point. It's the larger message, which is you can't see how important you are to the people around you right now, um, but you are. And George is is fortunate in that he gets to actually see that he made a difference. That his his being there was not pointless. Making all those sacrifices that he made in order to stay in the town when he wanted to leave were not. The, he did actually save the town even though it just seemed like he was living his regular life and that's the that's the message of the movie that's the point of the movie and i do like it right and so i'm happy that that he gets to that point where he realizes uh you know let me let me live again i i, I want to go back to to the way it was as slow as he is to figure it out once he's there as slow as you know he keeps saying he's off his nut uh that section of the film is very fleet right it's He's only there for about 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, really. It's one thing it after very another. Efficiently they all done. just pile on of the terrible things that are in, right. this, in this world. The saving grace of that is George gets pissed at Clarence for saying, keep saying that to him. Oh, yeah. You know, where yeah. Well, all, yeah. all those people on the transport died because, oh, shut up. You know, yeah. No, he George sells is, it. George is he with us. He knows, that. That, he knows that Clarence is going too far and, and keeps saying the same damn thing over and over I love again. that Clarence is a screw-up and kind of a yokel. <laughs> I think that's really hilarious uh, that he said, you know, second, where are your wings? He's like, no, and I said, like, second second level angel or second whatever. Class. Second class angel. He's like, no, no, I'm not that. I'm not the good kind. I'm the crappy kind. You got a crappy angel sent to you, George. <laughs> and, but I'm going to I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to do this. And and, uh, you know, I, I like I like that about it, too. And uh, I do wish it, it as fleet as this is. I do wish again, this is about the balance thing is there's 90 minutes yes. of George's life. And then it happens so quickly here. I wish there was more of this in the movie. And maybe that's my expectations uh, sp- talking again. But like, I like the rapport between him and Clarence. And at the end, he's mm-hmm. like, oh, he's a friend of mine. It's like, I would like to see a little bit more of that relationship to believe that they're actually uh, that that they're actually friends instead of just this angel who talked to me a couple of times. I would have liked to seen a little bit more of that because I think it's funny as a kind of a, a, a double act of, of, uh, of, uh, you know, Clarence and uh, George, but uh, we don't get a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, if, if you had, if you think about it, 90 minutes of this is a flashback. This is 90 minutes of Clarence getting exposition or, or George M. Cohan tormenting FDR with his life story for three hours of a movie. <laughs> right. right? Good, good, it's good it's the same thing. And Don't then, go there, David. Do not go there. <laughs> and then suddenly we're back at the bridge where we were at the beginning and we get like a 20 minute movie of what happens. So, you know, Clarence is an angel. He could probably get the exposition a lot faster than the humans watching the movie. But OK, we'll go with that. Just as just as a, as a movie movie pacing wise, at least as a modern viewer, I would have liked a little less of the life of George and a little bit more of George and Clarence exploring possibilities, because that would have been that relationship is kind of fun. But I don't think it really merits the oh, he's a good he's a, he's an old friend of mine. He's a good friend of mine that because we don't see a, enough of them together. Well, but see, but from George's point of view, he and Clarence went through a lot. 
Oh yeah, in a short time because you know, because George went through a lot during that time. That's true. You know he he saw he saw something that was life changing literally to him, and so that's why he he sees Clarence as his good friend. Yeah, I I, I get it. I would have liked to. I just I kind of wanted more uh, in a good way. Yeah. Like I, I I wish there was more of that because I like that. It shows that the film started as three different scripts that nobody liked and they gave when when Capra bought the rights to all this stuff they threw in the scripts for free and then he sat down with uh Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett and Dorothy Parker who didn't get any credit and Joe Swirling and they all kind of cobbled stuff from all of these scripts and added a bunch of other stuff and made magic eh, <laughs> for a few minutes um there are good things in this movie it's it's the pacing of it and the sort of lopsidedness of it that bothers me as a writer it's just it's yeah okay for those who like the movie um <laughs> how do how do you feel about this part about the alternate reality and then that the final like moment of of yes take me back take me back is this is this the highlight of the movie for you or is this just uh you know the pivot point and but you've enjoyed the movie up i just i'm wondering about when you get to this point and you're like all right here we go or you're like just kind of proceeding on with the film how do you how do you read i this? just proceed on it's just i just proceed on piece. because to me it's just another piece. And to me, the highlight of the movie uh, is his relationship with Donna Reed that we hadn't really talked much about yes. tonight. But I yes. love uh, how this part of the movie, even though it is the hallmark, this is the thing that all the sitcoms ripped off. This is the thing that everyone talks about after. But I love that despite all of that, the emotions are what hit. And I don't really think about the mechanics of it at all. Uh, yeah, it's just another part of the movie. And likewise, the ending, the ultimate ending where everyone winds up being happy only works because of uh, this alternate dimension. And this alternate dimension only works because of the 90 previous minutes we've had. Brian is such a smart guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> the relationship between George and Mary is the movie uh, to me. And this this part where he gets shown his life and how you know bad things would be if he, uh, how bad things would be if he were not alive um, is is the device that makes the rest of the movie work and and that and that is the reason why we saw the first part of the movie right and the reason why we see the second part of the movie but it's not the thing that uh, it, it it's not my trigger it's not the thing that i wait for and i you know rub my thighs and say ooh look you know no i no it's it, it, in particular it's all of the stuff between between george and mary that i really enjoy consequently and again this is probably because we've been we're so far removed from this time the whole uh librarian old maid spencer thing is the weakest part of the uh of the alternate dimension despite the fact that to me his yeah. relationship with mary is the highlight of the rest of the movie you could conceivably imagine that if george died mary would not want anyone else right even if even if he died before they got married Mm -hmm. But but if there was never any George, Donna Reed does not stay on the market. No, I'm I, sorry. I, I agree. I agree with you about that. I like I like their relationship. I think it's fun. I like that they they again they also have their issues of like, hey, we've got our money for our honeymoon. We'll go. We're going to take it, and it's like, no. Then there's a run on the bank. We got to use our money to save the town and all of that. Um, I like the I like the old house. I like them throwing um, stuff and breaking the like old windows. I did have a moment where I expected uh, Jimmy Stewart to turn to her and say, "Don't blink. Don't even blink. Blink in your." 
you're dead because that house is a super scary house like a doctor who house it's super scary but um and then i like that they get it and then and then like the the rain is coming through the holes in the roof and all of that but they 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 change it and they and they and they fix it up and so it's metaphorically it's they're building a life together while they're while they're building the the place that they're going to live in um i am almost in tears whenever she tells him that that was her wish when they threw rocks and then re-watching that scene when she throws a rock, I think, oh, no, we're going to get the payoff for this in a few scenes. Yeah. Like, it's my favorite part of the movie. It is so, David's going to vomit. It's my favorite part of the movie because it's so incredibly sweet. No, that's a lovely part of the movie. Oh, yay, good. I said there are good things in this movie. Come on. <laughs> How many times have I said that? I get why they did it because I think the the moral dilemma becomes way too complicated if she's married and has kids. Because now you're like, those kids, I don't, I don't want those kids. I don't want my kids back let's make those kids disappear from reality and all that. it's like no it's right. all bet it's all better it's safer to just have her be the spinster librarian but it's it's not those come on those kids are, are more fun than my kids this oh, is oh no clarence what have you done well they'd be sam wainwright's kids and so they'd be going E-yaw! all the time E-yaw! they'd, be, they'd <laughs> be horrible they'd be horrible children that that's true. true good point good point so um when he makes the decision and goes back to reality. Um, there, there's some little bits in here that I really like. And again, it's kind of like watching a mainstream entertainment that is, uh, that is using science fiction or fantasy kind of tropes is, it's also kind of fun to watch them do it and do it right when they do it right. And so like, when when he goes back to being alive again, he gets the blood on his face back from being mm-hmm. punched and that was like a really nice i was like that's good like good choice like yes we're winding it all the way back now that he's back in his life he's got all of the stuff he, de- he doesn't get to replay everything that's happened up to this point he's still got blood he still you know ran into the tree uh, zuzu's petals exactly and, right the, all of that yeah. stuff is good and that leads to uh, a moment that we've referenced on this podcast a bunch and it's great um where he gets so excited and there's this yeah followed by <laughs> hello wrecked car hello bedford falls merry christmas emporium merry christmas you wonderful old building and loan look at this wonderful old drafty house he loves everything now because he's alive again um and uh the and everything is saved because people love george enough that everybody brings in their money uh in order to uh keep the building and loan solvent and protect it from the hands of mr potter because again this is the community working together to save the town just as they did on the run on the bank um although i had that moment where like then there's a telegram from wainwright and everything's saved and i'm like everybody's just been throwing money at them so i had that moment of like does everybody get their money back does anybody know what the money was where does this where did the do we give everybody their cash back now that the telegram came does you know is mr potter just walking away with eight grand and laughing all the way to his own bank right yes i mean all of those things go through my mind but in the end the community does the right thing even though it turns out that mr wainwright is the one who puts everything over the top with his telegram and harry comes back at a boy clarence um every like everything goes right to the point where another movie reference i'm going to make here which is um you know in wayne's world at the end where they do the multiple endings and the one they the, one of the versions yeah. they do is the mega happy ending i just wrote in my notes <laughs> this is the mega happy ending it's like literally mm-hmm. everything is great harry you're back yeah we caught an early flight we just got in here special just to see you yeah everything is great but again i i 
as much as that made me laugh, also, it's a holiday movie. This is the uplifting part. You are supposed to be super happy. And I understand why it makes, like, Brian super happy. Because ha- ha- everything everything is good in the end. He's come out of his darkness, and now every, everything is everything is good. So it, it's it's funny just how happy it is, but um, but it's nice. It's, it's a nice ending. And that's the reason why this is a Christmas movie, because despite all those loose ends with Potter getting $8,000 and everyone else having no idea where all their money just went, it ends on Christmas. So it's a Christmas movie. And I hear so many people think, oh, it's not a Christmas movie. What are you talking about? It, five minutes of the movie takes place on Christmas. And it, is it doesn't Christmas, matter. It's totally yeah, a Christmas exactly. movie. That's the movie. What have we not given enough time to that we should that we should mention? Uh, and the answer is we've given a lot of time to David. So to Dr. <laughs> Drang and to Brian, what else uh, should we mention that, that you like about this movie that we haven't talked about yet? I like jimmy stewart's asides i like how you know he's he's this he's this nice guy but then he makes asides that are kind of are are in and of themselves cynical the uh i think i like the relationship with him and and his father um i like the 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 buffalo gals scene where they're walking home and you know the, the neighbor uh, you know, why don't you just kiss her instead of oh, yeah. talking her to death? Uh, that's lovely yeah, because that's really funny. that undercuts the. Uh, I'm sure David doesn't believe this, but but that undercuts the sappiness that that the scene is in danger of running into. Uh, almost all of this, I don't actually like so much the scene where. Um, after the bank run, he goes home to marry to the to the dripping house, not because I don't like the dripping house, but because I am at that point, I am sick of Ernie and Bert at that point. <laughs> I do not want Ernie and Bert around. I want them the hell out of there. I do not want them singing through the window of their <laughs> bedroom. Uh, that that all should go. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think I, I am amused by... Um, the kid who plays uh, George as a young man, it's poison. I tell you, it's poison. He, he's a terrible actor. Um, <laughs> and there's so much of him. <laughs> I also, No, there's not much of him. No, there really isn't that much of him. Um, it, it, at least as a percentage of the movie as a whole. <laughs> That's true. I, I That's like, true. I like this, the fact. This is the Berlin Alexanderplatz of Christmas classic movies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the, 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 the I like the fact that uh, um, there there is this big jar called poison in, in Mr. Gowers. It is it, it reminds me of in Frankenstein, you know, the abnormal brain. Yes, <laughs> that, yes. That Fritz goes Abby after. somebody. <laughs> Abby normal. So uh, yeah, I don't. The, the, what else did I? Uh, it, it's it's just these these little things, like especially when uh, when George is talking to Mary. Mary is in the bush after she's lost her, uh, and you know she and she's you know George Bailey. You you get me that back. I'm going to tell your mother. Oh, my mother's all the way up the up the street there. And well, I'm you know I'll call the police. Well, they'll be on my side. It it's a mm. it's a beautiful little byplay uh, there and. Uh, Almost again, as I said, almost everything between George and Mary, I like the very uncomfortable scene where he goes over to her house, and uh, th- that ends up with the with the phone call with from Sam, with Sam Wainwright, and uh, I like that scene. I don't really like the phone call so much. 
uh, and how they end up kissing and angry at each other at the end. I don't that doesn't seem quite right. But everything it was a up weird until, way to get them within kissing distance. Yeah. Well, I thought that was okay. It was just the sort of the kissing itself just doesn't doesn't seem right to me. But but the very uncomfortable uh, sitting in the parlor thing and. He's being a jerk and she's trying not to be a jerk or she's, she's trying to tolerate his being a jerk and, and finally is fed up with him. I think that is, that's very well done and, and very believable. Yeah. Well said. The only thing I want to, uh, I want to add to that is I really do enjoy the, uh, the child actors at the beginning of the movie. It makes me really happy. I don't know. I, I really like them. Uh, uh, that's all I've got to add. Yeah, you're right. This is a movie full of little things and all the little details you brought up. They were considered. They were well acted and well produced and well shot. Everything just had to come together. And there's so many of those little moments because you're telling the story of an entire man's entire life up until this point where everything completely changes and the, the whole town is different. All the characters are different for the last 20 minutes of the movie. And I appreciate that they took that time to make everything work all the little details as well as they did. But yeah, I really like the child actors. Yeah, I mean, the detail work is is very good. All And especially, again, the, you know, coming back from the alternate reality. Very well done. Very simple. Again, very straightforward. It's like there's no dwelling. There's no, oh, I remember that. No, it's just, oh, I'm still bleeding. Yay! <laughs> you know, and, and yeah, I, I put up a good front. I, this is not the worst movie ever made. There's a lot of good in it. We did it. We broke him. Yay! In fact, David, you love this movie. And that's no, the reason no. why you have seen it so many times. <laughs> is because despite your hard, cynical shell, you are a softy deep down inside. And you yearn to see the the, the wonderfulness of Bedford Falls. That's why Admit you, it. That's you why cry, you, too. That's why you live where you do in a, in a, in a small town in southern oh, Indiana. God, no. Because you want more Bedford Falls oh, in your life. Life. Oh, now you know why I want to get out of this stupid little town. <laughs> and you never will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do not like this movie. I do not like anything about the story. I do not like George. I spend the whole movie saying, jump, jump, you <laughs> bastard. It's um, not for you. Why? It's not for me. There is so many other good movies. I got to say, uh, just as I obviously can never have the level of uh, love that Dr. Drang and Brian have for it, having seen it, you know, for years and years and having it be so close to their hearts, nor do I particularly understand your feelings toward it, David, <laughs> because I... I think it's I think it's actually fine. I think it's interesting. I think yeah, it's, it's fine. I think it's a it's weird I think it's a weird movie to be a Christmas classic because the beginning is so uh so strange and there's so much kind of darkness in it at parts, but I also understand why it is. Um I don't think it's perfect. I definitely think there are things that that uh that that would make it better, but at the same time, I I kind of appreciate it. I get it. I see why people love it. Um, and, I, you know, yeah. I mean, you could say it's the Stockholm syndrome of the ubiquitousness of the reruns and everything. I I think it really is that people do connect to that story of despair, and and they may not consciously connect to it, but just that that thought of oh, what if I did something different? Oh, what if what if the thing that I wanted to do did turn out badly? Well, it's okay that I did this thing instead. It's okay that I quote did the right thing and, you know, however. And and that's something that's universal. Everyone has those moments. Everyone has those uh, you know, what if I did this? 
And this this really does tap into it and does it well. You do you, you do that thing where it's like I'm going to do the right thing and I'm not going to get any benefit for it, but I'm going to do it because it's right. right. And what this movie is saying is, you don't see the benefit, but exactly. doing the right thing has benefits. Like you may not be aware of them, but if you didn't do the right thing and the people around you didn't do the right thing, it would be a terrible world. And that that's part of what's going on here too, which is another. As also, I, I should just say this is a, this is a movie with angels right in it and animated at the beginning galaxies are somehow the heavens or galaxies or angels i don't know um what i what i think is interesting about it is as a person who is not particularly religious i i think this is an incredibly human and humanist movie it's about people doing the right thing because it's the right thing it what it is not despite the fact that the angels are the are the actors instead of aliens or time machines or whatever it's not really i would i at least my read on it it's not really about religion and god and things like that it is about people making decisions and 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 for the for the right reasons and being good people because it's the right thing to do not because of any other reason than it's the right thing to do and i like that about it it's the christmas movie that doesn't worry about putting the christ into christmas these these are very secular angels yeah that's right yeah the uh, the humanism of it, which actually is another reason that I thought of the Twilight Zone while I was watching it. It's not just the kind of right. like the plot twist thing is that that's a that's a uh, Rod Serling. You, you got to admit this, David. Rod Serling was often a oh, huge oh, sap. Right? Yeah. Oh, he could be awful. The two episodes he did about angels coming down to Earth and giving wishes are terrible. They're two of the worst episodes in the series. See, so David is being consistent is the uh, is what, what is what we're saying here. And I say that as someone who loves Rod Serling. David hates angels i love angels <laughs> i hated highway to heaven but that was with good reason well come on now yeah all right uh anything <laughs> have we have we really like i i am wondering if anybody's left listening to this or if <laughs> basically everybody one way or another has has like thrown their phone against the wall by the time that they get to the end everyone Just, uh, has gone to put on their copy of it's a wonderful, of it's a life. wonderful life to watch and it. prove david wrong probably yes Something. I I do I do kind of wish Kathy and Lisa had been here to give me a little support. Yeah, I'm sorry but about that. I think I think I held the flamethrower across the the hill pretty well. Well, we'll see. We'll we'll make sure the Kathy and Kathy Campbell and Lisa Schmeiser listen to this because they are definitely anti. It's a Wonderful Life, but they couldn't be here, so David had to bear that burden alone. Thank you for doing that, David. You were the bad guy. Thank you, David. You yes. enter you enter taboos and exit to hisses. I will say <laughs> I think they hate it more than I do. So Why, yeah. I'm kind of curious to see. Yes, but the angels kept them from appearing on Clearly, this podcast yeah. and ruining the movie. <laughs> a glowing galaxy commanded that they not be here. And so I, I will say, if you like It's a Wonderful Life, give Christmas in Connecticut a try. It's a good movie. It's a lot of fun. It's a little more progressive in terms of how it portrays the women. Um, it's it's a surprisingly contemporary film for 1943-44. All right. Anyway, thank you for being the villain, David. Anytime. Dr. Drang, thank you very much for being here. No gin tonight, son. <laughs> Brian, All right. Brian Hamilton, All right. thank you very much. I was in a play of uh, It's a Wonderful Life where I played um, the main narrator, Angel as well as Uncle Billy. So there you have it. Another personal connection for me to uh, It's a Wonderful Life. All right. And uh, I have been your host, Jason Snell, as always. Uh, until we see you next week, Merry Christmas, you wonderful old building and loan. 
Merry Christmas, you wonderful old drafty house. Merry Christmas, you wonderful old drafty house.